Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by first-time novelist Layla Motley, whose new book, Night Crawling, was just selected for... Oprah's Book Club. It follows high school dropout Kiara Johnson and her family as they struggle to survive in Oakland, California. Kiara turns to sex work and ends up embroiled in an Oakland Police Department scandal. Nightcrawling is based on true events. Today, Layla and I talk about our shared home of Oakland, the way labels are used to gatekeep in the literary world, and about how Layla approached telling this complicated and emotional story. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. And The Stacks Book Club pick for June is White Negroes When Cornrows Were in Vogue and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, June 29th with David Dennis Jr. The Stacks is a completely independent podcast made possible by the support of our listeners. I cannot stress to you all enough how I would not be able to make this show each and every week without the support of the Stacks Pack, which is our incredible bookish community that supports the show over on Patreon. If not for them, there would be no show. So if you like this podcast and want to show your love, plus earn perks like bonus episodes with your favorite readers and authors, shout outs on this very podcast and our incredible monthly book club conversations. Go to patreon.com slash the stacks and shout out to two of our newest members of the stacks pack, Julie Zeller and Sarah Peck. Thank you so much. And thank you to every single person who is part of the stacks pack. And now it's time for my conversation with Layla Motley. All right, everybody. I'm very excited. If you've been listening to the show, if you follow me on social media, you know that the one book that I have been looking forward to in 2022 is a book called Night Crawling by Layla Motley. And guess who I get to talk to today? The one and only author, Layla Motley. Welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We have a lot to talk about. We have some things in common. I feel like we'll start where we always start and then we'll sort of dig in, which is in 30 seconds or so, can you tell us about the book? Yes. So Nightcrawling follows Kiara, a 17-year-old Black girl in Oakland, um, when she finds herself involved in a network of police officers who sexually exploit her, and that results in a major investigation and a target on her back. And this story... so. 
you're from Oakland. I'm from Oakland. Shout out (laughs) Oakland girls doing our thing. I can't figure out where I want to start. I guess we should start with this because I think people who don't know will be like, what the fuck? How old were you when you started writing this book? Um, It was a month before I turned 17. So you were just a casual 16 year old girl. Like, let me write this novel about police sex misconduct events. You based it on the true stories of what was going on with Oakland Police Department. How did you, like, when I was 16, I was like, let me listen to NSYNC. So, like, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how you are so much more mature and cool than me and also, like, so talented. Was this an assignment? Were you just like, I want to write a book? Like, what happened? Yeah, um, so it's actually the third book that I had written. So I wrote my first novel at 14 and then my second at 15 16 and then this is my third 16 mostly 17 but are those books published no 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 one will ever read those books okay they will not see the light (laughs) of day um I don't know I like to say that I think that people have like kind of low expectations for teenagers Mm -hmm. and I mean I went to an arts high school so I think this also informs that but um so many people I know were, you know, 15 and incredibly talented and trying to do all of these things. And, and I think that the world just doesn't pay attention to young people and especially to like young black kids. And I don't know, I, I just like wrote it and I don't think I never (laughs) intended, uh, it wasn't an assignment. I did it on my own time. I didn't necessarily think anyone was ever going to read it because I'd written these other two books and I didn't want anyone to ever read them. Um, and so I think that that was kind of my, um, my practice rounds for how to write a novel. And this one definitely felt different because by the time I gotten done with the first draft, I mean, first drafts are hard because they're always kind of shitty. And so you like, um, and, and that was to be expected, but there was something about this that still made me go, like, I think this story is important for the world and not just me. Um, And so I I did the work to revise it. Okay. What school did you go to? Oakland School for the Arts. That's right down the street from where I grew up, first of all. Aw. Yeah, right by the Wendy's, right? Yeah. Yeah, that Wendy's is really iconic. They're not open very late. So don't try to get get, uh, frosty after 10 p.m. (laughs) because it's not going to happen. That's so funny because, um, like, there was this Thai restaurant right next door to it, to the oh, Wendy's. Really? Yeah, and it was, like, the place that we had, like, our special, like, birthday dinner. Like, Oh, cute. It was, yeah, iconic place. Um, I feel like we have a, we're going to have a lot of, like, oh, yeah, I know that place. Or, oh, yeah, but... Um, We'll stay on this topic for now, then we'll go back to the book. Because I'm just so, like, I think you're right. I think people don't give, and by people, I mean me too, don't give young people enough credit. Like, I think when you get older, you forget what it feels like to be young, Mm -hmm. for sure, like a thousand percent. And I also think that when you get older, you realize, like, what an idiot you were when you were young. And so you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. other young people are idiots too. But, like, you know, they are and they aren't. I'm curious, like, because this is your first published novel and, like, you're so young – And you're in this world that's like very, you know, air quotes, adult. How has it changed how you like, how did you go into this? And how do you feel like you're different 
now. We're recording this before the book has actually come out. You're like a week and a half or something, two weeks away from it. So for people listening, the book is out now. But we're talking about this before any published, technical published things have come out. But like, how have you, how do you feel like you've changed? Like, walk us through it. Well, I mean, I sold the book when I was still 17. I signed (laughs) my contract on my 18th birthday. Did you have to have an adult sign with you also? No, no, no. They, I sold April. I, I turned my birthday in June. So I sold in April and then they waited to give me my contract until my birthday. And I signed on my birthday. Okay. Um, so that we didn't have to deal with that, but, um, yeah. So that was like almost, that was two years ago now. So, um, a lot has changed. And I think that that's the other thing about, you know, being young is that there's like an intense amount of like rapid growth that happens in even like six months. Yeah. And so I'm a very different person and a very different writer than I was when I wrote this book Mm. and when I sold this book. Um, so there's definitely like that element of just feeling like, um, this book isn't even the book that I would write now and it would be entirely different if I wrote it now and I'm around all of these adults like there's there's not really anyone to talk to my age who has been through this um, which in some ways is kind of isolating but I also like get to have a lot of mentorship and we're all kind of like debut authors are all kind of in the same place no matter how old you are yeah um so that kind of levels things out too. Uh, but it's definitely a strange experience. For sure. Okay. This is sort of a fucked up question to ask you because your book's not even out, <laughs> but you brought it up. So I'm going to ask if you could do it again, if you were rewriting this book, mm-hmm. what would you do differently? And let me just say before you answer the book that you're going to read people, it's really fucking good. So like everything <laughs> she says, we'll just look forward to that in your sophomore book. But I'm just curious, like yeah. how you think you would change it. You don't have to, and don't spoil anything, but just like generally, mm-hmm. how do you think you would approach it different? I honestly don't think I would write this book. You think again. you'd just tell a different story? Yeah. And I think that that's part of why I'm glad that I did it when I did it, because mm. I think that, Like you said, people, the second, almost the second you, you know, turn 18, 19, 20, like you exit this period of, you know, the minute you graduate high school, you are suddenly removed from it. Right. And adulthood comes really quick and it changes the way you think about adolescence and childhood. And I think that I, it was really, really important to me that this book be a representation of this young girl and I wanted it to kind of read as a constant reminder of how young she is Mm -hmm. um, and how the positions that she's put in and the circumstances that frame the book are not meant for a girl who is 17 and yet she is Mm -hmm. and and even when the world views her as someone much older I wanted the book to still read with like these these moments and like this element of, of childhood at least throughout even just the way that she like experiences mm-hmm. the world around her. And I don't think I would have been able to write that if I wasn't 17 at the time that I wrote it. And so I don't think I'd be able to write it now mm. in the same way. And I think it would be a very different book if I attempted it now. Um, so I don't think I would. <laughs> Interesting. 
Yeah, because when I was reading the book, like one of the things we talk about this a lot on the show, which is sort of like, how do you classify books? You know, like what's the genre? Mm -hmm. What's the age? Mm -hmm. And as I was reading it, I was like, you know, I know this is an adult book, but because Mm -hmm. she's the central figure, it feels and I don't mean this like I, I don't mean this to like because I think people have a negative experience of YA, but it sort mm-hmm. of feels like YA because you're following this young person and she's around young people and it's from her point of view. Mm-hmm. And like, I kept thinking, you know, why isn't this YA? And the only thing that I could think of was that the topic, like the subject matter is mm-hmm. adult. But then I'm like, but it's happening to teenagers. Like this is based off real life stuff. So like, why couldn't this be for young people? You know? And like, and I, I do think that this book, you know, for young people who are interested in this, I think it's totally accessible. And for adults who are interested in it, I think it's totally accessible, which is like how books used to be when I was younger. It's like, it was just a book. It wasn't like YA. But I definitely like went back and forth of like, this could easily be a YA book because it centers a young person. It's from her point of view. Like we're seeing the world through her eyes. We feel what it feels like to be her. I'm wondering if there were any conversations with you and the publisher about how you would kind of classify the book. Yeah. Yeah, and when I was actually getting agented, I had these different agents who I was talking to, and a few of them were like, okay, what if this was YA? And a few of them were like, this is definitely adult. And it's interesting because in a lot of ways, I think genre is arbitrary and is more representative of this like literary elitism than it is of any actual genre. Bingo! Layla gets a million dollars. <laughs> and so I think, like, it doesn't really matter all that much, but it's about respect right. in the end. And I wanted this book, like, I wanted people to respect the young people in this book. Mm-hmm. And if that meant calling it adult, then that's fine by me. Um, because I think in, in so many ways, YA is disrespected and, and kind of marginalized as only for young people but I know you know 13 year olds who read adult fiction and adults who love YA and I think that it in the end doesn't really matter actually like Kiese Lehman and I had this interview I love him and he he asked me um I don't know we were we ended up talking about um genre and like urban fiction Mm -hmm. as a genre Mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about that a lot because in like my um in Nightcrawling's I guess the Library of Congress genre um, classification, it is classified as urban fiction. And I just think it's so interesting, the kind of like genre redlining that happens Mm -hmm. around like, how do we implicitly say that this is a black book and Mm -hmm. this is a book about like, city kids. Mm -hmm. And this is a book about young people and, and how do we say like a book is worthy of respect or not without yeah. actually saying it? And I think that genre is a huge way in which the publishing industry does that. So you're I mean, so the, right. Yeah. And the end, it doesn't really matter to me all that much as long as like the characters are respected and people get to read it without feeling bad about it. Cause yeah. I feel like that's a lot of what ends up happening is people like feel guilty for what they read if it's not within a category that the mass public would would deem as acceptable. Yeah. I love this idea of literary redlining because I also just think about like in this book and, you know, being from a place 
being from Oakland, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's so much coded language around mm-hmm. being from Oakland. Like there's so many yeah. people who are like, oh, I'm from the Bay Area. And I'm like, where mm-hmm. are you from? And they're like, Oakland. I'm like, that's not the Bay Area. That's Oakland. You say you're from the Bay Area if you're from like Danville. Nobody knows exactly. Danville. But like mm-hmm. Oakland is Oakland. Right. Like, you you're say. saying mm-hmm. you're embarrassed to be from a black city. Like, what are you saying? And I think like the same thing with like sex worker, you know, and it's oh like, there's so much in your book that is oftentimes like coded or like mm-hmm. given a euphemism mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think that's just really interesting. I would not classify your book as urban fiction, but also I don't think of Oakland as ur- like urban, you know, I know yeah, it is, but like it's right. where I'm from. I don't, I just don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, that's where my house is. <laughs> like I don't, but of course, of course I know intellectually that it's an urban city, but it's so interesting, like the way that that these things are classified and you're right, like how mm-hmm. how the conversations are shaped by the categories things are put in. And it's sort of like, oh, if you don't like urban fiction, like the mm-hmm. black the black story. Yeah, I mean, it's black fiction. Like yeah. that's what they mean. Of course that's what they mean. Um wait, have you ever lived outside of Oakland? No. I mean, I spent three and a half months at college. Where did you go to college? Smith College in Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts, cold. It was. (laughs) (laughs) You stopped. You you dropped out temporarily, or you postponed, or whatever. I don't know what they call it. You stopped going to college for a little bit Mm -hmm. to do all of this. Do you Mm -hmm. think you'll go back? And if you do, do you think you'll go back to Smith? I will not go back to Smith Mm -hmm. because it was a huge culture shock for me Mm -hmm. to be in this small white town. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what I was getting myself into before I went um and I don't intend on leaving the bay so if I went back to college I'd stay in the bay um and I'm I'm not sure when I'm going back I'm not sure if I'm going back I'm kind of letting it ride out and then we'll see whatever college is overrated I went to college and I loved it, but it's also like overrated. And if it doesn't feel right, don't feel stressed out. And you can always go back like when you're 40. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you go back when you're 40, you can get like five degrees at once. Apparently nobody told me this. Well, like, no, but I just know Danielle Smith, who was, who was on the show Uh, a few weeks ago. She went back and got her master's and finished her undergraduate degree like at the same time. Wow. But I feel like they only tell you that when you're an adult because you're like, bitch, I'm not paying for all this shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just like, let's get it all done. Let's get it all taken care of. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk about the contents of the book, this case, because yeah. I remember when it came out, I was like, I'm going to throw up. This is like mm-hmm. the most fucked up story ever. For people who don't know, this isn't a spoiler. The book is based on this. So, like, whatever. But in 2015, 17, it like spanned a few years of, of media content, but 2015 to 2017. Yeah, like the there, this story broke about a young teenage woman, teenage girl, she was a teenager, um, who mm-hmm. was a sex worker and was basically like, it was basically like embedded by mm-hmm. the Oakland Police Department and other police departments. And mm-hmm. she was having sex with all of these police officers and essentially as you can imagine the way that power dynamics work she didn't really have a choice Mm -hmm. and so this is sort of what inspired you can you talk about like reading the story and then actually deciding that you wanted to write about it because I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's other things that you're like this is interesting that that you're not like let me write a novel right yeah I I mean I was a young teenager I was like 13 14 
when this story broke in. I mean, I it consumed Oakland for for a while, and I guess I assumed that it did the same nationally, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people don't know about it. But um, like you said, yeah, a young a young girl, she was um, sexually abused by many different area police officers and um and there was this investigation and a cover-up and police chief turnover and all of these things and I remember um paying I mean paying a lot of attention to this feeling like it was like it was a messaging about what happens to young girls and young women of color especially and the ways in which like we're just not gonna be protected and I remember also listening to like all of these news stories and the reading the way that the the media talked about it was was really interesting because the focus was this like disproportionate focus on what does it mean for the police department and what does it mean for the police department's relationship with the community mm-hmm. and the trust between the community and the police department as though that existed before I was gonna then. say what and, <laughs> and I remember thinking like what about her like we no one seemed to care what mm. the the lasting impact was on her and the like thousands of other young girls and women who are you know don't have their stories ever make it to this type of of media um yeah so i remember thinking about that and um and just paying a lot of attention to it and you know of course the way news cycles happen it disappeared right it faded away, but like that's not how it works for survivors. It doesn't it doesn't disappear. And I it stuck with me and I researched other cases of police sexual violence, most of which don't ever get reported, but um a few of which have made it to to media throughout, you know, the past few decades. And then when I was like sixteen, I think I had this idea about um, about a character, and I, I Kiara kind of came to me, mm. and from her I built out a world, and it was important to me that it was in Oakland because that's all I know. Right. Um. And and so I I definitely like drew from that case, but also from from other cases and and just from you know my own imagination too. Yeah. How much was how much did you imagine versus research for this book? I tried not to research too much because I didn't want it to to infiltrate the story. Mm-hmm. And I wanted all characters and like the people at the heart of this book to be entirely from my own imagination. Mm-hmm. And really, I just like did a, a lot of reading the transcripts mm-hmm. and and just like seeing could I how much could I hear from her voice and from the voices of other survivors. So I did a lot of, of that um, as much as I could, but there really isn't that much out there about it. So like the scandal itself is sort of the thing, but like Kiara and her friends and family are all, they're not connected to the story. That's all from, from you, from your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you think about writing about the cops or writing the cops? Was that hard? I think that for me, it was really important that I recognize that police officers are just police officers when they're in uniform and Mm -hmm. that like this, the debate about like a good, good cop, bad cop, like all of all of these things 
don't really matter when when you have this power abuse in play. And mm-hmm. so for me, I I thought about um, how to characterize them without giving them the room to be people that we can sympathize with as though they can exist in Kiara's world without just being cops. Because in Kiara's mm. world, they're just police officers. And she can have moments with them, but like it, at the end of the day, they have this power and the power dynamic at play doesn't allow for her to view them outside of of their their profession, their role in in right. this play. And so part of what I did was I used their numbers instead of names for the most part. And I I kind of characterized them by ways in which she saw them and mm-hmm. some small traits that they would have. But you know, the most important thing was not them. And I just didn't right. want that to take the center of the story because it is meant to be her story and Kiara is, you know, she has the narrative control in this whole thing. And right. And so it wasn't important that they be developed in um, outside of her. Right. You treated them like how most novelists would treat the sex worker in the mm-hmm. story yeah, or mm-hmm. the news or whatever, like the afterthought, just like a casual, like, has splotchy cheeks. The end. Bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love that detail. I just I knew exactly <laughs> what he looked like as soon as I was like, oh, red splotchy. I was like, yeah, I know that guy. Uh, <laughs> how has the book changed since when you started writing it? It's changed a lot. Um, the the biggest thing was Marcus. Marcus changed a million mm. different times. Marcus is that's Kiara's, Kiara's brother. brother. Yeah. yeah, and. Um, everyone who read it in the beginning hated him, just hated him so much. And I didn't feel that way, Mm -hmm. but I realized that there was something that I like that I needed to create the nuance for readers in the same way that I like understood him because there are a Mm -hmm. lot of deleted scenes too with him. (laughs) Um, And so there was, there was a lot of work to, to show who he is and why he is the way he is mm-hmm. and allow us to mm-hmm. be angry at him and understand him at the same time. Um, so that, that was a huge thing. And then my beginnings always change a lot. Like the first part of the book changes more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely there was a lot of work on that. And I didn't know how to plot in my first draft. I, I didn't even consider that plot was important um I mostly thought about just like characters and writing and that was like the the biggest thing that I did the first thing that I did was I reversed outlined and I created plot out of not Mm. not a lot got it so interesting I you know I love plot so I'm really glad Mm -hmm. that you took the time to do that I appreciate it because I like the book and I know that I would not have if it was just Mm -hmm. characters floating around incidents okay we have to talk about the cover and the title yeah the title appears in the book Mm -hmm. in a sentence Mm -hmm. and it was not 
what I had thought that it was, <laughs> which I loved. We won't spoil it because I love one of my joys is like finding the title in mm-hmm. a book, like especially in fiction when it like pops up and you're like, yes, I got it. Um, and and yours is just like, was that something? Did you know that you wanted it to appear in the book in that way? Did, like, how did you go about like thinking about the title? I think it appears like two or three times throughout. Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. Okay. The one time that I'm thinking of, I have the page written on, I can't remember, but the one time I'm thinking of. I think I know the one you're talking about where it's like. It's on page 107. Yeah. 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 That's a, yeah. Um, it's, it's in there a couple different times, but in none of them is like the actual like one word nightcrawler. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I had the title before I wrote the book. I, I think that's often the way it works for me is I just, the title just happens and nightcrawling, like it's not validated by the dictionary or anything, but it is like, it's a colloquial term and it has multiple meanings and um, it can mean just like lurking at night, lurking on the streets, um, any of like the things that we do on the streets, like undercover things. Um, It can mean like drug dealing or sex work or any of that. Um, and it can it can also, you know, just mean like walking the street mm-hmm. at night. And um, and so night crawling up to me that that's just like uh, I wanted it to come into play in a different way than the title and, and the actual yeah. meaning. Um, and because I think that part of the intricacies of this word and like having it be a term that like it's a very much a real word, but it's also like not, it's, it's, it's a term that like, you know, in black dialect, we get to create our own, our own words. And, um, and I wanted it to show up in, in whatever way that it it fits in, in Mm. different moments throughout the book. So it's there in a couple different places, but never in the way that we expect it to be. Which I love. Um, Okay. The cover. A lot of people are telling me it's their favorite cover of the year. Were you involved in the cover at all? Mm -hmm. Did you like tell us about that process? Yeah, I love covers. I think they're very important. Um, I'm with you. They really matter. And so I, yeah, I had a lot of involvement in the covers. Um, So basically I, I was given, I think, four different options, maybe even six. I was given a lot of options and there, it came down to two first drafts and one was what we now see as the cover Mm -hmm. but like it it looked a little different um I think the colors were different and the the font the text was Mm. way different and I hated it and um and then the other one was this like really stunning um image of this woman with like uh lavender growing out of her mouth and I loved it as a piece of art, mm-hmm. but it felt um, almost like dead to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't have the same like kinetic energy, like the movement that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt was really important, especially with the, you know, the verb of the right. title. And so um, I ended up saying, you know, let's go with this orange one. And change the font and make the colors like more vibrant and we went through a couple different drafts of that until we landed on the one that you now see today and I love it It is not at all what I thought the cover would look like I couldn't even I would never have pictured this 
Um, mm. And I, I think it's like 10 times better than what I thought it would be. It's so gorgeous. It's so bright. I would never think to put, I know that they're complementary colors, but I would never think to put the orange and the purple together, mm-hmm. especially like around this book. But now that that's like what it is, I'm like, oh, this, of course, this is like a 10 out right. of 10. It's like the, the purple is so perfect. The orange is so perfect. And I hate orange. Like truly orange is one of my least favorite colors, period. Mm-hmm, and I too. still really like this book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Ugh, I hate that I like an orange book because it's really <laughs> fucking up with my brain, but I just like it. So here we are. It's so pretty. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's so gorgeous. Um, Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. All right, everybody, we're back. Um, Okay, let's talk about time management. You were in school when you were writing this book. How did you make time to write? 
how did you write? Where did you write? How many hours a day? Mm-hmm. Music or no music? Snacks, beverages, candles, mm-hmm. rituals, the whole vibe. Set it yeah. up. I didn't sleep. I think that's like the, the main one. I don't recommend it. Layla, um, this is horrible. You're young. You need to sleep I so know. you can grow and be healthy and strong. I sleep now. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, so I wrote the first draft the summer before I went to college. And I was working at two different preschools. And um, and I was a substitute teacher. So my, my shifts changed. But um, most of the time I was working like a good 20 to 40 hours a week depending and um and then after work or before work depending on my shift I would go to a cafe and I would write and then at night there was this like little jazz bar cafe and I would go you know downtown where the YMCA is Mm -hmm. so I would go to the YMCA and then I would go to the jazz bar like down the street (laughs) it's gone now Mm -hmm. um and there would either be comedy or live jazz playing and I would have coffee at like 9 p.m. and write. You would write while there was comedy going on? Yeah. (laughs) Did you not write through anything? Okay, okay. I despise comedy, so I would be like, this is irritating to me. Yeah, I (laughs) I hate stand-up comedy more than anything. It's kind of it's it's awkward and Mm -hmm. I feel like the energy of it helps at times. Um, Mm -hmm. I like things to be going on around me when I'm writing, uh, if I'm, if I'm out. And then when I went to college and I was revising, I, I did a stupid thing and I took 20 credits my first semester, which is is five classes. And it's like one class more than you should take. And, um, and so I, I was in a lot of classes and I was working um, and then I was writing. And so I wrote at night most of the time. And my my dad loves music. He I like literally have never experienced quiet in my house <laughs> growing up. And so he always had music playing and mostly jazz or blues. And so I would play that in my little dorm room while I wrote so that I could like feel it just made me feel at home. Um, and that was mostly how I revised. Um, and then the pandemic happened and I revised more and that was kind of all over the place. Um, but inside mostly, and Mm -hmm. I have like since learned how to write at a desk, which I hate desks. I'm not a person (laughs) who likes to like, Sit at a desk in a desk chair. I like to sit on a bed or mm. like a couch um, and write like that. So that's my preference. I drink a lot of coffee. Um, How do you I, take your coffee? Cream and sugar, absolutely. Yeah. What yeah. color? Like, like, give me like a color with the cream. Are you going like, mm. like a wood, or are you going like your skin color, or are you going like even mm. lighter? Like, where are you? No, get, I'm, get... I'm going like light wood like like a white okay. oak okay okay great I like a lot of milk in my beverage and is it yeah, regular I milk mean, or are you giving me a soy and oat what's the deal um I will do oat my partner's lactose intolerant so she kind of takes the okay. milk and I try not to steal it from her so I will do just like half and half and traditional thank you yeah welcome to my heart yeah. <laughs> I actually so I've started doing some half and half but then also putting whole milk on 
top of it. Interesting. Because okay. I feel like it's like I like it really light, but if I do that yes. much half and half, it's like too much. I drink and tea. It's, thick. it's like yeah, it's like mm-hmm. too thick. So I do like mm-hmm. a splash of half and half, and then the rest just like yeah. whole milk. That's what I do um, for my tea, whole milk. Mm-hmm. What kind of tea do you drink? Black tea, preferably like a breakfast blend, great, Irish great. breakfast. Sure. Yeah. Great. We love this. This is something we have in common. Mm-hmm. I love a black tea. Um, but you did not say any snacks. No, I don't all. snack. I'm not a snacker. At all. Ever. No, really not at all. My partner loves goldfish and on occasion I'll have goldfish. But like I prefer just like three meals and wow. and coffee. And I like if it's a special writing day, like I'll have sushi. That's like my treat. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't snack. I wish I liked wow. snacks. This is so sad for you. I, I just know. can't imagine not liking snacks. Um, but I love goldfish. So your partner is mm-hmm. my best friend, uh, big goldfish house. We get like the huge, yes, boxes, she has the know, huge like the box top. always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, oh, it's cause you have kids. I'm like, well, no, I sometimes give them a few, but yeah. it's actually mostly for me, but thank you. Thank you. Um, Okay. In your acknowledgments, you mentioned pitch wars. Yes. And I'd love to hear more about pitch wars. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's like when your book sold? No. No, oh, actually no. not that's at all. Um, so pitch wars, I don't know. I was probably like look Googling like how do you get a book published or something. Um, mm. And stumbled upon pitch wars, which is generally for like genre fiction. Um, and I don't think I knew that at the time, but I applied and it's essentially like this mentorship program. So you um, get paired with a mentor and my mentor was Samantha Rajaram and she's lovely. She does historical fiction and um, and she was the one who taught me how to plot. And so we spent mm. like two months like she gave me notes and then I would. I would write um, and revise. And then we there's like an agent showcase, which basically gives you like priority in an agent's line of. Okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so uh, I got a few agent offers through that, but I actually didn't end up, my, my agents I got elsewhere. So I didn't end up actually getting agented <laughs> through that. Um, but yeah, that that's basically what it is. Got it. And then your book went to auction, right? It was like 13. 13 or way auction Jesus in the beginning of the pandemic. So it was like the first book that my agents had sold during the pandemic. It was kind of like a shot in the dark. None of us knew wow. what it was like to sell a book in the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And so I took all of these like Zooms when we were all figuring out what Zoom was oh with gosh. 13 different editors and then we had this auction. It was crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. I'm sure people are listening to this right now and they hate your guts. Cause I like, know. she's, I she's know. 12 years old. She is like Asian offers <laughs> editor, but you know what people sometimes you just are better than everyone else. Like flex <laughs> on them, Layla, let them know, let them know. I'm just kidding. Everyone's great, but Layla's better than me too. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just fine. It's just, it's the truth. Okay. We can't front. Um, how did you know you wanted to be a writer? I know you do did poetry previous mm-hmm. to writing this novel, but like, how did you know that was a medium that worked for you? How did you know you wanted to go to arts high school? Like, mm-hmm. how did you find your calling? I mean, I was like writing 
the second I learned how to write, I, I don't know, I was six with a, a poetry journal and I have many, <laughs> wrote many short stories that like nine and, um, and I just like, I'd always did it. And I think part of it is because my mom was a reader, so she filled the house with books and my dad is a writer. And so writing was like a thing. Um, mm-hmm. and not just a thing you did in school in my house. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that that probably influenced it. Um, and then I was really into theater and, <laughs> and so I went, um, I really wanted to go to the arts high school, the arts middle school for theater. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I auditioned and I, and I went for three years, um, in the theater program. And I think by my second year, I was like, I think that I would rather spend my time writing than in rehearsals and mm. and that like I cared more about what I was like the the actual writing of the, mm-hmm. the play or the monologue than right. I did about like performing it but I love to perform um and I realized I could do that in different ways and so then I transferred to the literary arts department for high school and that's when I started writing novels in my first year in high school and then poetry kind of I mean I was always writing poetry and I did not write performance poetry that was not something I did but then in high school they were like you know maybe everyone should apply to the poet laureate program and I applied and I I won vice laureate when I was 14 and then when I was 15 I became local youth poet laureate and that essentially is like you go around and you perform <laughs> in front of a bunch of different audiences and you get solicited to write poems for different organizations. And so I spent um, a year just like constantly writing, memorizing, performing poetry. And, and it was really cool. It was definitely a learning experience for me. Um, and I, kind of let my fiction take a back burner while I did that and then I switched and mm. uh, let the fiction be like my main thing and now I'm writing poetry again but not like writing performance poetry because that's not actually what I naturally write mm. but I, I I can make myself write it um, mm-hmm. and now I feel like more comfortable with just writing written poetry. I love this. Okay. This is sort of the opposite of that last question. What other jobs or careers or things do you think you would want to do? Because, I mean, if you keep writing, fantastic. We're here. We'll be reading. But also, you're like 19, almost 20? Almost 20, yeah. Like, ask me what I was doing when I was 19. <laughs> I'm not doing it now. Um, so I'm curious, like, mm-hmm. in, an, in, the, in the future, in another part of your life, maybe tomorrow, I don't know, what mm-hmm. else would you want to do? Could you imagine? Um, I love kids. So like working with kids has always been, that was, I mean, that was what I was planning on doing. And so whether it's like social worker working in a preschooler, I'm not, I, I'm not entirely sure, but like kids, I love kids. Um, okay. And yeah, I think that like, I'd be happy working like at a nonprofit or something. Um, I, I don't know. I just like, once I'm happy and I believe in what I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. but I'm good. Um, yeah, I think I think that the working with kids would make me very 
happy, but it's also very draining. And yeah. Um, yeah. So kids are a nightmare to me, but you know, <laughs> I, you have them. I know. I'm like, do you want to come live in LA and work with my, oh my kids? God, exclusively? Yes. <laughs> That's what I do for my friends with kids. I, I be like me and my partner will take any, any friend's kid and we'll just babysit for free. Cause we like kids. It's great. Oh my God. Yeah. Come to LA. I got some All kids right. for you to take care of. They're real bad. They're real naughty boys. Um, oh, this is important. What's a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? Um, maneuver. Ooh. I don't know. It's so hard. I can't, very I can't do it. Very yeah. hard. I discovered I couldn't spell nauseous yesterday. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Really hard, right? I know. I, I typed like 50 times. I also, <laughs> yeah. there was another word I was using the wrong, I think cynical. I was using an S. Apparently it starts with a C. Who knew? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been discovering how bad of a speller I am recently, but maneuver for sure could never do it. No. Or manure. I don't think I could do manure mm. either. Anything with like more than one consonant in a row and there's a U in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. It's a done deal. Okay, this is a crazy question to ask you before your book comes out, but do you know what comes next for you? Is there another book? Yeah, um, there's a poetry collection, which will be out, I don't know, in the next year or so. Um, And then I'm working on another book, another novel. Um, I can't say too much about it, but... You don't have to. um, It'll have a few of the same themes, but also it's going to, it's more of an ensemble. um, And I think with a wider scope. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool. And I know this is before your book comes out, but I feel like this book has been very buzzy already. Have you heard from any people, like any cool people where you've been like, oh my God, they like my book or they're interested or they're kind of like, I mean, my blurbs, my blurbs were like, like, uh, I don't know. Kiesi Lehman was like, I, I couldn't even process that one. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then James McBride was a really big one for me. Um, yeah. And Tommy Orange, too. Oh, mm-hmm. I love Tommy Orange. When I first started this podcast, his book came out that same year. Uh, so I, like, didn't have any, like, clout. I couldn't, like, reach out. But I know he's allegedly writing, like, a follow-up mm-hmm. to there, there. And I'm about to be all over I it. Know. I think he actually went to middle school with my brother. I think he went oh, to really? Montera. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he did. I think because he's the same age as my brother and I like mentioned something Aww. or my brother was like, oh, have you heard of this book? Like some guy, I don't think they like knew each other. But anyways, um, Tommy Orange. What? Tommy Orange. Ugh. Yeah. People who write about Oakland make me so freaking happy. I know. Yeah. So that was huge. And you guys do it so well. Like it's not like bad, you know, like it's like good <laughs> yeah. books about Oakland. Yeah. It was, that was a huge one for me because I was like, it means so much more when you have someone who like understands the landscape of what you're writing mm-hmm. about um mm-hmm. and is like you did it well yeah yeah oh, so cool okay for people who like night crawling what are some other books that are in conversation that you might mm-hmm. recommend to them mm, that's a hard one um I guess books about like black teenage girls that I love um any Anyone who knows me knows I love Jasmine Ward. I will read literally anything by her. I Mm -hmm. am patiently awaiting her next book. But um, Salvage the Bones is a really beautiful depiction of a teenage girlhood. And 
Then um, Jacqueline Woodson does it so well. Mm. Um, I love Bell Hooks' memoir, Bone Black. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I love that. Oh, and Tazaki Shange, who is the writer of, for Colored Girls. That's her most famous one. But she also wrote a, a novel called Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo, which I think was like one of the first books I ever loved. Um, it's about mm. three sisters. Uh, I love that one. Yeah, I think those are, I don't know, it's kind of hard to, like, think of books that are in conversation with it, because there aren't very many books yeah. about this type of policing, um, yeah. but, yeah. A book that comes to my mind is uh, Tiffany Jackson's uh, Monday's Not Coming, because mm. it's also sort of about, like, young, like, two young Black girls and, like, how nobody's paying attention to mm-hmm. one of them sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. it's sort of, it, that one's a little more like genre. It's like a thriller, um, but it, it's sort of in the same world. Yeah. I love me. that. And also they're there because Oakland, even though the, con- the context is yes. so different, like just think you both do, do such a great job of making Oakland a character and mm-hmm. like a part of the book. Like you have this line where it's like the Bay calms Kiara and like she like goes to like look at the water or whatever and like she it calms her and I just could so relate to that because whenever I go home and I like look out and see the bay even mm-hmm. though the bridge is different and not the same yes. as my childhood <laughs> but um I just I feel I feel like people I feel like mm-hmm. when you're from Oakland like there's something about like looking it out is. over the bay and mm-hmm. like the cranes and mm-hmm. just it's just like a thing. And I just feel like you captured that so, so beautifully. I have two more questions. One is, what do you hope that folks will keep in mind as they read Nightcrawling? Mm. Um, I hope people don't think of either like Kiara or me as like an exception. I don't mm. know. I think that I often find like people exceptionalize me and mm. I know that that isn't true and that when we like have such low expectations for young people it you know and especially for young black kids it only limits us um and so I think that like thinking about me outside of like just think of me as a writer like try not to think of the images like the um the defining factor of this book um and then Kiara like this is one story but also if we think about how many other stories there are like this, Mm -hmm. like I think that it's important to go into the novel, like understanding what that like people have whole worlds and like survivors Mm -hmm. have complete lives. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that even like in the face of, you know, black tragedy in some ways, like we also are always in the pursuit of other things of like love and, connection and joy and delight and like childhood and all of these things and that they don't need to um I mean it's just like life is more than one thing and we need to allow like black characters that same luxury yeah I think to your point about not exceptionalizing I don't know if that's a word exceptionalizing you I think what's so difficult about that is not that you're not exceptional because you are, but you know, 
this book is really fucking good for any writer, but I think it's like exciting, at least to me, it's exciting to think about the fact that you're young and like that you have so much ahead of you and like Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, and I think that that that's an exceptionally rare thing for someone like me who spends a lot of time reading Mm. books, but I totally hear what you're saying is like, you're not the only one. And there's like a hundred more of you out there. And like, we need to be giving opportunities and making space for other people like you. But I also think that you're (laughs) exceptional. And like, I want to shout that out to the world because you know, you're not the first, you won't be the last, but like there should be many more of you. So I feel like by reminding people how incredibly wonderful you are, like, (laughs) Maybe they'll hear it. They'll want to do find more Layla's and different Layla's and versions like parallel universe Layla's and totally (laughs) opposite from Layla Layla's. So I don't know. I think you're exceptional, even though you shouldn't be singular, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Last one. If you could have any person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? Well, I'd have my grandma read it, but... Other than that, the Jasmine Ward. Okay. I love her so much. Uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Were you ever curious about having the woman who, in- who inspired mm. this read this? Have you ever thought yeah. about her in that way? Definitely. I mean, I think that um, I hope that like it feels like a representation of a story like hers is like exists in the world and that Mm -hmm. like it's she hopefully feels like it's not forgotten but I also hope that like she doesn't she recognizes (laughs) that like these people are not her in any way right 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 um and and I think that like I hope that people who've had experiences of police sexual violence are able to read this and like see you know a mirror but not them because I think part of what I wanted to do was create a cast of characters that are entirely themselves and, um, and show that like they're, everyone has a whole world. I mean, Mm. really. And when we read a news headline, we don't get that. Yeah. So good. Layla, this has been such a treat. Everyone, you can get Nightcrawling wherever you get your books, library, indie bookstores, wherever it is. The book is out in the world now, and Mm -hmm. that's exciting. Layla, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Layla Motley for being my guest. I'd also like to thank Josie Cals for helping to coordinate this interview. As a reminder, the Stacks Book Club pick for June is White Negroes When Cornrows Were in Vogue and Other Thoughts on Cultural Appropriation by Lauren Michelle Jackson. We'll be discussing the book on Wednesday, June 29th with David Dennis Jr. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of the Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 